This is More Than Therapy Podcast. More Than Therapy. This is More Than Therapy. More Than Therapy Podcast. This is More Than Therapy. More Than Therapy Podcast. This is More Than Therapy Podcast. about domestic and dating violence. Domestic or dating violence is a pattern of controlling behaviors that one partner uses to get power over the other, including physical violence or threat of physical violence to get control, emotional or mental abuse and sexual abuse. 8% of domestic violence victims are women. One-fourth of women worldwide will experience domestic or dating violence in their lifetime. Women between the ages of 20 to 24 are at greatest risk of becoming victims of domestic violence. Domestic violence is most likely to take place between 6 p.m. and 6 a.m. The costs of domestic violence amount to more than $37 billion a year in law enforcement involvement, legal work, medical and mental health treatment, and lost productivity at companies. As many as 324,000 women each year experience intimate partner violence during their pregnancy. Boys who witness domestic violence are two times as likely to abuse their own partners and children when they become adults. Domestic violence is the leading cause of injury to women, more than car accidents, muggings, and rapes combined. One half of all homeless women and children in the United States are fleeing from domestic violence. Every nine seconds in the United States a woman is assaulted or beaten. In 60% to 80% of intimate partner homicides, no matter which partner was killed, the man physically abused the woman before the murder. Hello, and welcome to another episode of More Than Therapy. Today we speak with someone regarding their very special experiences in life and the impact that it had on them and how they move forward. Today's special guest, Martina. Martina, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, thank you. That's that's good. Martina, who is Martina? Well, I often... um... The, the I often uh, answer most people that I am a child of God and secondly I am a mother because um, I, I think about the different roles that we play mm-hmm. um, in life um, I am an entrepreneur best friend different different roles that we play, okay. but most and foremost, I often go, I am a child of God. Okay. Tell me about your background. Where do you come from? Who makes you who you are? Um, what do you mean in terms of culture, in terms of um, work, things like that? All of that, or wherever you want to start. You'll say we'll start with your culture, your your 
ethnic background? Okay, I was born and raised in the in the United States. Um, born and raised in Miami. My parents are Haitian, so I am of Haitian descent. And I've also had the opportunity to live in Haiti, both in Haiti and the United States. When you look at your background, what, what do you think of some of the most defining moments in your childhood to make you become the person you are today? Mm, um, I'm very resilient. So, and that to me stems from having, um, although I was born in the States, but my mom moved back to Haiti with me when I was about three months. And then when I was about seven, she decided to divorce my dad and send me to send me back to the States to live with my aunt and uncle. From that time on, so I was about seven. From that time on, I've just had a period of living from house to house. And I wouldn't say they were the worst homes, but I've had to kind of fend for myself from that age in terms of, um, I wouldn't say physically, but more so emotionally and mentally. Um, and that's just something I'm just not realizing. Um, that's, yeah, because you can provide a house for a child, food, um, things like that, but without that emotional and mental support, then that child is really just spending for themselves, trying to figure right. out the world on their own. And that's 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 why I say, okay, I've, I've kind of gone through all these things and become, had to become resilient. Right. Yeah. Do you think your childhood contributed to your educational track, um, post-education? Yes, and yes, um, more so when I was living in Haiti. Um, I think having been around um, poverty, although my parents were more so a working class, we lived in the area where most of the people were professionals, but maybe a few houses down you see someone living in huts and you know or shacks or just really not having anything to live and I always tell people the poverty in Haiti versus poverty in America is a whole total different experience um you're talking about not having running water um not having shelter, but then there's really no resources to go to or to get to basically live life. Right. You're literally just at ground zero um, versus the poverty here in America. At least I can go to a homeless shelter. I can get some help, some form of help. I can probably go to the local church or um, there are plenty social services um organizations that help with homelessness and especially when it comes to having children there's a, a lot of services provided to families here in America versus Haiti so I think having seen that and having the experience of 
um, just, you know, the whether it was a neighbor that I saw and wanting to give them food um, and sometimes even asking my parents, hey, can this person stay with us um, for a, a night or so? And my mom would be like, okay, well, we, we don't know this child, but oh, okay. But so I think with that, those experiences um, and having my experience as well, um, have led me into the social work field and wanting to help people to have a better life, better chance, provide resources. Cause a lot of time it's just, just fall down to resources and education. Right. Um, yeah. When I met you, you were a multi-systemic therapist at Youth Villages. Tell me about your experiences at that agency doing that type of work, which I was told has a 90% effective efficacy rate. Uh, so that job obviously was, it, it was very stressful. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, as I moved on into other jobs, I felt that the multi-systemic work was the only role that I was in that actually that I actually saw that worked effectively. But um, I don't know if it's mainly because of how the the um, I guess the the format or what they were using. Um, that's probably why because then you involve all the systems that's impacting this child and this family versus to some of the work I've done here in New York um, you're dealing mainly with the child and a bunch of other um, mental health professionals but they're not really including the systems that's impacting this child so you may have to deal with the yes of course the school maybe their mental health therapist um but that that didn't go a long way versus to um the multi-systemic um therapy work at youth villages you got to actually see the the child as a whole um day-to-day how they were sleeping breathing literally everything how they went to school if they attended church you got everyone involved and the goal also was to get the family involved so once the family was on board it seemed like you had a better chance of getting a better outcome a positive outcome for that child to succeed and make progress um yeah versus my experience here in new york it's it's it was it's been challenging because you're only working with the child you're busy trying to get the family on board but they don't really get it um and then it's a different population too here in new york i work mainly in uh like the foster care system so versus youth villages those children are with their parents so that's a total different approach right yeah. Is it possible to use some of the skills you learned from multi-systemic therapy to transition to your work with your current population? Oh yeah, I do that. I do that all the time. Okay. I do that all the time. It has worked because some of the kids that I've had on my case though, because 
the multi-systemic therapy, um, for those who don't know, they were um, teens dealing with the court system. So now versus to kids here that I've worked with in New York, some of the kids on my caseload, yeah, they've been, you know, through the court system. So some of the um, skills that I've learned at Youth Villages, I applied it here. And um, as long as I was able to get maybe the biological parent involved and still make that connection, then it did often work. Yeah, definitely work. Um, I know you uh, pursued a transition from mental health for a spell and you pursued massage therapy. What, mm-hmm. what caused that transition? What do you think was a major transition to such work? Honestly, I don't think it was an actual transition for me. I think this is something I've always wanted to do from many, many years ago when I graduated from high school, but I was discouraged to do it from my family. Um, coming from a Haitian background, they often believe, hey, if you're not going to school to pursue to be a doctor, lawyer, uh, nurse, or something that's going to bring you some serious income because ultimately they want you to be successful. They want you to thrive right. and be able to be okay on your own. So when they thought about massage therapy, they were just like, that's that's not a career. Um, so I kind of gave that idea up until... Um, I left the job at Youth Villages and I was like, okay, what's what's next? Um, I've always wanted to do massage therapy. Maybe this would be the time because I'm always looking at the best way possible to heal people, you know, whether it's mentally, emotionally, physically, just their overall well-being. Right. Um, so I got the opportunity to do that. And um, from there, continue to work in the social work field. But in the evening, I would go and do massage. Got to a point where I opened a practice, did very well. And um, I really, really enjoy it um, because I like the idea that I saw I saw the healing process as it was happening. You know, I will often have the client that comes in and they're like literally shaking. I mean, with, you know, with the stress, a load of work on their mind, maybe having issues with their families or whatever. But I was able to give them that peace of mind or a sense of relaxation or normalcy for at least an hour, hour and a half, depending on their session. Um, and it was just like, okay, I've, you'll see them really calm down. Um, and then oftentimes it was more, you know, educating them about what massage therapy does to their mind and their body um, in terms of helping them relax, relieve stress, um, promote better sleep. So, and then a lot of them would just keep coming back because they saw the results and it was, it was a great experience. The five love languages. So would it be that your love language would probably be physical touch? Yes, but I'm more so the person that likes to connect 
emotionally. So it's back to emotional for me. Have to be able to connect with someone emotionally, mentally to get to that physical touch. So I don't, I don't know if, no, maybe not. I don't mind that, but that's not my go-to for the, you know, first. So the five love languages are physical touch, Mm -hmm. gifts, words of affirmation, acts of service, and what is the other one? Quality time. Quality Quality time. time. Okay. (laughs) So with that, it would be words of affirmation and quality time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then everything else falls after that. Okay. You seem to be a very endearing person. What do people often thank you for? Hmm. My kindness which often sometimes you take in for weakness. You know, people say, oh, you're so kind. And then, you know, they want to test you a little bit. (laughs) Um, Just my kindness. You know, I I have a genuine heart. I always tell people, if I ask you, how are you doing? I actually want to hear how you're doing. Right. And I stop. And you can tell they just kind of get uncomfortable. And I'm like, no, I really, I really want to know how you're doing. For what in your life do you feel most grateful? This is going to go back to spirituality for me. Um, I'm more, I'm grateful for God first and foremost. (laughs) There's a lot of situations that I've been in, in terms of, I mentioned, you know, having been home to home. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be sitting here. Um, then I think about now, I think often think about my children. Mm-hmm. Um, they give me purpose. They give me a drive every day. And I'm thankful for great friends. Because when you can't rely on your, what was supposed to be, you know, parents or that immediate um I guess the, the that foundational resource, then you tend to find other ways and other people to rely on. So I often say, yeah, I'm grateful for God just bringing me through all these experiences, grateful for friends, grateful for my children because they've given me another uh, sense of purpose of life. Um, Speaking of experiences, the pandemic has brought a lot of pain into a lot of people's lives, caused a lot of an uptick in anxiety, depression, and other symptoms. Mm -hmm. Isolation and um, pandemic protocol has caused a lot of people to be withdrawn and in households for extended periods of time, which impacted relationships. Here in North Carolina, we had an uptick of domestic violence cases and an overflow in women's shelters because of such things. Um, comes to understanding that you had some experience with um, domestic violence. Would you care to speak on that? Um, my personal experience was I was 23, 23 years old at the time. 
but that wasn't the first time. Well, that was my personal experience, but I've had, I had, I've been around, uh, domestic violence situations and one of the homes that I had lived in as a child. So sadly it wasn't foreign to me. Um, or even when I think back to my parents, um, although my dad wasn't physical, but he was verbally abusive to my mom and uh, my brother and I. Uh, so fast forward to age 23, um, I had met this young man in church, which at the time I call it just being naive and again, back to that kindness, you know, that kind spirit. So I always tell people the an abuser finds you at a vulnerable state, whatever that is. Um, I guess for whatever reason, I felt like he chose me for whatever reason. Um, I didn't, the knowledge that I have now, I didn't have it at 23. So I thought maybe this person because it, it, it started subtle I didn't know what it you know what it was I just thought this person was just like being overprotective um he cared about me he loves me so this is why he would say um oh don't wear that type of outfit wear this this is how it started um I don't like your hair that way do this or do that so my naive 23 year old self it's more like you're trying to please this person so you kind of went along with it um i i can remember back to i think a girlfriend of mine i was on the phone with her and she overheard him saying um talking in third person to me i was just like oh okay you know this is just him you know saying um let's say his name was um I don't know John you know John he was saying oh John doesn't like when you're on the phone with your friends or you're not giving me attention so she overhears him saying this and she's like who is that what is this all about and I didn't back again my naive 23 year old stuff I didn't know what that so I'm like oh he's just probably playing I'm always making excuses but he's just probably playing this is now um, now a whole year later of course this type of conversation talk keeps happening and then a year later I don't know what I said to him or what happened and he just literally just took me and started shaking me and I just sat there was just like okay But you probably would have thought, oh, okay, this is scary enough that I'm just going to walk away again. I, by then I, I'm just like, oh, okay. He's just having a bad day. Like what's up, you know, what's going on? Um, so from there it goes through to him putting wall, you know, holes in the wall, punching the wall when he's upset. Um, but I, I, I stayed in that for like three and a half years because I just didn't know what, like I, to me, in, at that time when I heard of domestic violence, um, I just often picture 
the guy beating the girl um, to where she's on the floor, she's passed out, bleeding, whatever. So that's what was in my 23-year-old mind. But I didn't know, now being older, I'm just like, oh, it starts subtly, like, oh, you know, the control, because it's, it's it's psychologically where they brainwash you um you know i mentioned it started off oh i don't like your hair this way okay fine i'll change it i don't like the outfit you're wearing okay but that's all emotional and mental abuse um intimidation just him like punching the you know putting the hole in the wall when he couldn't have his way um then it it switched to sexually where this is what I want you to do to me sexually and if not I'm gonna get upset um all these things um at one point I couldn't even pray in my own apartment so but now as you know as I am older have more knowledge of course and then I realized okay oh well there's physical abuse there's sexual abuse there's emotional abuse there's uh verbal abuse there's spiritual abuse there's financial abuse there's all these type of abuse that people don't really talk about and we just think of oh the physical abuse or more so verbal abuse right um so and then like i said it happened so subtle and i was so naive of that you know at the beginning because i met this person in church we sang in choir and in my mind I'm just like oh this person can't do no wrong and I just didn't know any better so of course I stayed in that for three and a half years um and what was so crazy about that is by then I was just starting into the social work field and I remember my supervisor sending me to a DV training and I'm sitting there, I'm like, is this, is this what I'm going through? Like, it, it just didn't, um, I didn't make the connection, but I, I was still asking questions. Is this what I'm going through? Could this be for real? Um, because I just never pictured myself in a situation like that, considering that I had seen, you know, some women in my family have gone through that. But again, that was more so I saw them being beaten and, you know, bleeding or something. That's what I equated to. I didn't, I'm not thinking, oh, it starts off with a verbal abuse or emotional abuse or anything like that. No. Right. You know. Um, what made you walk away? Oh, gosh. I think I was just forced to because... I don't know. I don't. I don't even know if it would have been like my own choice of walking away. Um, I ended up moving out of the apartment where we were staying because, first of all, he moved. I got my own place, and he moved himself in, and I was just like, "Oh, okay, whatever." I went along with it. Um, so I, I ended up. We somehow came to agree an agreement that he was gonna stay at that place and I was gonna move out of that apartment, which I did. Um, to make a long story short, he breaks up with me but continued to harass me. 
Um, so from there, because I had never talked to anyone about what's going on, you know, behind closed doors. I hid this from family, friends. I always just was making excuses for him until um, the harassments kind of got kind of crazy where he was calling, texting, emailing, stalking me to the point where um, if he knew my car wasn't parked on the sh- on a certain street or somewhere and I was like, okay, then I, I somehow I got scared of that. <laughs> that was the turning point for me. I got scared of, oh, this person is really stalking me now. So now I started to reach out to people and I had a friend who worked for the court system at the time and she kind of led me through to okay start saving these text messages start recording him when he calls um the last straw was I remember going to church service with a co-worker um who was a social worker and somehow while we're sitting in the church at the church and she's like why does your phone keep ringing so I finally just broke down and I told her what was going on and then she saw the messages and she's like oh this has to go to the police and I was like why so this is my thought process it's like I'm scared but then I don't want to go to the police because I'm thinking is this going to escalate the situation Mm-hmm. So um, to make a long story short, I did re- I did go make a report with her help that day. Got an order of protection. Um, he violated the order of protection, got arrested. And from there, I got to a point, I said, you know what? Um, I just made the decision to move out of state altogether. I mean, I, I it, that wasn't like the main reason, but I just I was like, okay, this is this would be a good idea to move. Um, and I ended up moving to North Carolina, and had the order of protection for like maybe two years or something like that. But even then, when I moved, the first year I was there, he wouldn't call himself, but he would have other people calling me all hours of the night I'm just like so I ended up just changing my number altogether and that eventually you know stopped um and that's that's pretty much it like yeah but it was just it took a process for like it was a process for me to get out of that but I always tell people I was kind of forced to get out because I think if he hadn't broken up with me, I think I would have just tried to stay there maybe for another four years, five years, because I just didn't realize how bad it was. I just didn't know. And I really cared for this person, really was in love with this person. Um, I just thought maybe one day he would get up and change and be a better person. That's not the case with most abusers, you know. Um, a lot of times, yeah, these women, they end up not alive, you know, um, that's, it's something to be taken seriously. What advice would you give a woman who was experiencing domestic violence in any form? The ultimate response is get out. Get out, plan to get out. 
Yeah. Because they, now that I know better, they do not change. The abuser, they they don't change. That's that's not gonna happen. Whatever you want to believe, you say to yourself, they're not going to change. They're not. No, definitely not going to change just to get out. Tell someone, you know, tell the one person, because like I said, for many years, I never told anybody. And I said, oh, if I said something to someone earlier on, I wouldn't have been in this situation three and a half years and right. god forbid if i stayed longer i probably wouldn't even be sitting here to talk to you because who, who knows because we all know most statistically most of these women sometimes they don't get out they're they end up dead you know it, it's it's sad situation um i'm grateful though for the law in new york i don't know how it is in other states because Again, as I said, my naive 23, 24-year-old self at that time, by then I was 25. Even though I was sitting in front of a lawyer at this point, after they arrest him, they, they ask you to come in and you know they ask you several questions. And, and I'm sitting there telling the lawyer like, okay, can we drop the charges? The lawyer is like, that's not the way New York state law work. Thank God for that because in the past, when it wasn't that way, these women, they drop the charges and these guys go back and kill them. So I was very grateful where the lawyer just sat down and looked at me and said, no, this is not how this works. Once this is filed, it's up to New York State to handle this. And we will do all, you know, everything we can to protect you, but you right. have to listen to us. Right. And I was like, okay, wow, this is really serious. Indeed. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for sharing your experience. I'm sorry that you went through that. It seems like you learned a lot because of it. Mm-hmm. I did. I did. Um, I really did. I think now, too, that's why I've kind of gained a, like, grew a passion to really educate younger women um because i find like over the years it's more so um you know we we tend to have like older women that we are talking to um about domestic violence but i feel like if we start at a younger age the the 12 year old the 13 year old because it's happening in junior high schools it's happening in high schools i think the the one of the well when I was much younger where I saw an incident was I think in high school you mm-hmm. know where this teen boy was holding this girl's you know this girl by the ha- hair you know and I'm just like oh my goodness but at the time I didn't know and I'm like oh okay well they're fighting I'm thinking they're fighting no that's that's domestic violence and it can go the other way too women yeah. are abusing men you know, let me say that I'm not gonna, you know, be biased because, um, well, they're not reporting faster as you know the women are, but that it's it's happening. And same-sex um, couples have a high tendency yes. of domestic violence. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. What do you secretly love about yourself? 
Or maybe not so secret, but whatever. Um, my ability to connect with people, not more so in a room filled with people, but maybe one-on-one. Yes. Um, you know, I often get told I, I just connect with the, <laughs> the, the strangest person or the most random person. And if you were to make a documentary about you, anything, what would it be about? Oh, that's a good question. Yes, I have a lot of good questions. That's what I do. I've, I've, <laughs> yeah, I've never thought about that, but I mm-hmm. think considering that we're talking about this topic, yes. I think I would more so focus on domestic violence within the teen population. Okay. and young adults that's what I would really want to shed light on mm. um, yeah. I've never seen anything like that that's, that would be very much needed especially mm-hmm. coming through these crisis stores of our agency right yeah. yeah because if you can if you can work on it at a very young age then they can recognize the signs like I said I, was, I just didn't know I didn't you know I stayed mm-hmm. in that for so long right I just didn't know what how it starts you know mm-hmm. because I I can see the young girl where a guy is telling her no don't wear that she's like oh okay that's so cute oh my gosh she's just really interested in me that's your thought process at 15 16 or 20 22 you, you know that's right. your thought process right yeah you think he's really showing some interest in me right yeah. special attention Yes, special attention. He (laughs) really loves me. Oh my goodness. No. It doesn't work that way. Because he's working slowly on your mind. Right. But 2020's been a rough year. What is what are you looking forward to in 2021? Peace of mind. A little less stress. Um yeah, it's been a really crazy year for most people, everybody. Yeah. So just some some form of normalcy. What does peace um, of mind look like for you? That's another good question. Uh, you know. I'm not sure. <laughs> really not sure. My mom I always just said hope if I'm... you don't know where you're going, any road to take you there. Yeah. I mean, I would hope it starts off not getting a phone call that somebody passed away. I've gotten so many of those phone calls this year. So that's been tough. Um, So that's a little bit of a part of peace of mind if I cannot, but I understand life happens. And not something that you can readily control. Right. Yeah, so maybe to respond to the chaos around me in a different way. Okay. Um, yeah, or to see chaos in a different way versus then, okay, I'm stressed. This is stress, you know? Um, because stress sometimes, yes, it's, it's the physical stress that you're experiencing, but a lot of times is what you're telling your mind. All right. You know? So just 
trying to look at things on a positive um, way. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for sitting with us on today's episode of More Than Therapy. Any final words? Well, thank you for having me. I'm hoping this helps someone. Um, oh, sure will. Thank you for having me. And thank you for being with us today. You're welcome. Are you experiencing domestic violence? Common signs of abusive behavior in a partner include Even one or two of these behaviors in a relationship is a red flag that abuse may be present. Telling you that you never do anything right. Showing extreme jealousy of your friends or time spent away from them. Preventing or discouraging you from spending time with friends, family members, or peers. Insulting, demeaning, or shaming you, especially in front of other people. Preventing you from making your own decisions, including about working or attending school. If you are experiencing domestic violence, call 1.800.799.safe, 7233.